please open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, We're going to be in verses 12 through 18. What's that? Seven verses this morning. And so turn in your Bibles to Philippians. My name is Gavin. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at City Light Church. And today I want to talk to you about suffering. And the room goes radio silent. More on that in a minute. Let me remind you where we've been in the book of Philippians. Uh, This is the second of ten weeks that we're going to study the great book of Philippians. And uh, here's kind of the backstory. So this this, uh, letter, book of the Bible that we're reading, is really a letter. It was written by the church planter and apostle Paul uh, some 11 years after he planted his church. Uh, in Philippi, which is a small European city that became, in fact, one of his most favorite churches that he planted. He had just such a dear friendship, love, and affection for this church. Uh, Last week, we talked about how this was an unlikely church plant. It was uh, very diverse, young people, old people, different races, different um, ethnic backgrounds, um, different um, economic statuses, but this became a unique family centered around the gospel of Jesus that then God used this unlikely family to really spur on a church planting and and gospel-proclaiming revival in their day throughout the known world. And uh, I just have to say, this is a a role model church for me. As I've been studying the church in Philippi, um, I start to dream and cry out to God, God, would you use us in our generation in such a similar way? Um, City Light Church isn't the biggest church. It's not the most talented church. It's, it's not the richest church, but neither was Philippi. And nonetheless, Jesus captivated their hearts, and they leveraged everything they had to see a, a gospel revival in their day. And, and church, I, I want to be a church like that in our generation. And so here it is, this unlikely church family, and, and Paul had planted it, and, and they had this neat partnership that went on. And some 11 years later, after um, the church was planted... Uh, Paul got arrested, and it's from um, his captivity that he writes this letter. We don't know if he was in a Roman uh, prison cell. Um, It's speculated that he was likely under house arrest. And so uh, Paul finds himself in chains, and from his place of chains, he writes this letter back to the Philippian church to both encourage them and lead them, even from his grim situation. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Last week, we kind of focused on the church, this unlikely church plant, this eclectic church plant uh, that God created. This week, I I want to draw our attention to the imprisoned church planter, Paul. Because in verse 12, he starts to talk about himself, kind of his greeting, uh, addressing the church is over. And then he says, I want you you guys to know uh, about what has happened to me. So he starts to talk about himself. And this morning, as we take a look at um, Paul's life, he's going to model both for the Philippians church, uh, and for us as well, what it looks like to go through struggles and sufferings, trials and tribulations as a Christian in light of the gospel. It's been said before that to be human is to suffer. No one walks through this life without some measure of suffering and, and trial and tragedy. And City Light, I want us to be a church that doesn't get caught off guard Oh no, I I have a trial that I have to walk through, but we would walk through it, eyes wide open, saying, man, I want to suffer as a Christian to the glory of God, even through the trial and even through the tragedy. So um, I don't know if this sermon bears any relevance to your life. I assume most of you have no family drama, no financial stress, no parenting woes, no worries about the future, none of that. But just perchance someone snuck in this morning that's going through something, this one's for you. So Uh, If the rest of you would just nod your head and pretend like uh, this is relevant to you, that would do 
much for my confidence. Um, I want to give you just two encouragements uh, from the text this morning as we look at the good example of the Apostle Paul. The first one is this. Don't waste your chains. Don't waste your chains. Let me show you what I mean from the text. Uh, Remember, this is Paul writing from prison. This is likely his very first communication back to some of his best friends in Philippi, and he's going to tell them about his situation. So let's look at Paul as he talks about his current imprisonment and struggle and how he addresses it. Verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, this is, this is incredible. Remember, the Philippians are likely wondering, man, how's our brother Paul doing? How's his health? What does he need? What are his conditions? Is he, is he going to get out of jail soon? Is, is he going to get the death sentence? Is, is he coming back our way? And this is Paul's first chance to communicate with his friends about his imprisonment. And his first words aren't about the blisters from his shackles or his impending possible death sentence. The very first thing he says is, hey, I want you guys to know I'm in jail. And that's really helped the gospel go forward. Can we just acknowledge that's not a normal response to trials? I mean, I wake up in the morning and there's not coffee beans. Life goes on hold, right? I'm going to have a talk with my wife. We got to get something right unless there's coffee beans, right? I don't rejoice in how the Lord might be working through my uncaffeinated body. No, 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 right? I click on YouTube and it says, you will watch your video after this 15-second commercial. YouTube, why do you ruin my life? I mean, this is... My blood pressure goes up like I'm trying to find a parking stall at City Light Church. Like, this is, this is catastrophe, right? Our, our normal fleshly inclination towards trial and struggle is not, I thank the Lord for what he's doing. But, but that's Paul. For him, his life got restructured in such a way that, man, his, his inconveniences and his conveniences, his successes and his struggles were just the, the background narrative to the the main narrative, which was knowing Jesus and making him known to the world. His chains just became channels for him to communicate the love of God to the known world around him. So the first thing he says, I want you to know, it's really served to advance the gospel. Number one, Jesus is going forth throughout the whole imperial guard. Let me unpack this, because none of you know what he means by that. So the imperial guard was a group of about 9,000 soldiers, also known as the Praetorian Guard, I think you say it. And so um, this was a, a Roman um, military position that would have been very elite. So these are highly trained, highly skilled, highly compensated, highly prized Roman soldiers uh, in Rome at the time. And so they were like Navy SEALs of their day. Um, they were compensated well. Um, they were given the most elite duties in the military force. But one of their least glamorous jobs was to guard the imperial prisoners. So the prisoners that, or the, the prisoners that had the most... Um, They needed to be watched over because they were seen as a threat to Rome. They would literally tie an imperial guard to the prisoner. So here's Paul's perspective. As he's chained up to some dude with big muscles who's going to make sure he's not going to go anywhere, what does Paul think? He thinks, wow, this guy must be predestined to salvation. Like He he must be elect. Why else would God tie him to me, the evangelist? And, And so he preaches the gospel to him. 
Eight-hour shift ends. Next guy comes in. Paul says, look at this captive evangelistic audience, right? Sir, are you going anywhere for the next eight hours? I didn't think so. Let me tell you about this man I met on the road to Damascus. His name is Jesus, right? For eight hours, he preaches the guy. I love that. Um, appreciate the humor that is in here. The very men who have tied up Paul so that the gospel doesn't go forth are the very fertile soil that the gospel goes forth in. Jesus is becoming famous among the imperial guard. Now, um, how does this end? Let me fast forward to the end of the book of Philippians. We'll get to this in about eight weeks, but spoiler alert, let me show you the ending really quick. This is Paul's final greeting uh, to the church in Philippi, verses 21 and 22. He says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers, that's Christians, who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, that's the Christians, especially those of what? Caesar's household. Do you see what's happening? Paul is imprisoned. He's sharing the gospel with the royal guard. And even Caesar's household are meeting Jesus. What a backfire for the Roman authorities, right? Absolutely amazing. The very men who have imprisoned Paul are now saying in the background as he writes, Oh, are you writing to the Philippians? Hey, tell our brothers in Christ hi. You know, they're worshiping the same Jesus. For Paul, his, his chains of imprisonment became the very channels of communicating God's grace to the world. And so I want to I tell you, City Light, um, what I think we can learn from Paul is that oftentimes our own chains are the best channels for us to communicate God's love to the world around us that desperately needs to hear it. So let me ask you, what, what are some chains in, in your life? What are some chains in your life? Paul, um, I, I need to say this. Um, some of you feel metaphorically chained to your desk every day. Some of you feel chained to a family that is difficult. Stay-at-home moms might feel chained to your house that you never get the luxury of leaving during the day. You might feel chained to some treatment center or hospital bed. We all have some chains, right? And, and I need to be clear in saying this. Um, this scripture never makes light of suffering. It doesn't um, imply that suffering is good, that God is its author, or it doesn't seek to uh, remove the paradoxes that we have to wrestle with of a good and sovereign God and pain and suffering in the world. But what I don't want to miss, the discipleship moment for us, City Light, is this. Paul is showing us, and we can't overlook it this morning, that our struggles and our sufferings are often the very place where God wants to use us the most. There's this amazing paradox in the Christian life, isn't it? That often our greatest triumphs come through our greatest trials. That often, um, historically, the church, its, its greatest place of advancement has been in the face of its greatest persecution. And that our greatest witness is often uh, where we struggle the most. It's an amazing paradox. And so I, I just want to apply that to our church. Could it be that through your change, through your chains, God is giving you a unique channel com to communicate his grace to the world, to speak of him, to be a witness for him, or to give testimony about him right where you are. A few years ago, I was in a hospital room um, with a guy named Stan, and uh, Stan was a dear old saint, um, had known Jesus, loved Jesus, walked with Jesus for most all of his life. Stan was in his late 80s, and he was literally dying, and we all knew it. And I spent some time in the hospital with Stan to pray with him, and we read scripture and, and all of that stuff. And um, I'll never forget visiting with Stan, and this is 24 hours before he died. And so 
Uh, Stan is just hanging on, but the Lord gave him his mind right until the very end. And as I was meeting with Stan, a, a young nurse came in. She said, hey, Stan, how are you feeling today? And Stan's reply was, I'm happy in Jesus. And then he said, hey, my pastor's here. Ma'am, how can we pray for you today? And I thought, what an incredible man. You're not comfortable when you're dying in a, a, a hospital bed, right? He, he could have said a thousand things, but he knew he, he didn't resent his chains to that death sentence and to that hospital bed, but he leveraged his chains as an opportunity to minister to that woman. Absolutely incredible. What a witness. So let me ask you, how would it be that God might leverage your chains for his name and for his fame? Paul took this eternal perspective on his suffering, and because of that, um, the news of Jesus went throughout the entire Roman Empire. But not only were new Christians, new people becoming Christians, the imperial guard, all of Caesar's household, he says another thing happened because of his chains. Verse 14 He says, additionally, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so as Paul suffers, he uses his chains both for evangelism to tell other people about Jesus, but he also shapes the culture among Christians throughout a whole Christian community. Did you know that the Christians around you that look up to you, that are looking at you, are going to be most moved and inspired and encouraged not by how you face triumph, but how you walk through adversity. These Christians are looking at Paul, and he's sharing the gospel from within prison. And he might be facing a death sentence. And here this man is leveraging his life and finding his joy in Jesus, and he shapes the whole culture of the Christians around him. City Light, I want that to happen in this place, that we wouldn't be caught off guard when we go through struggles. Um, that we wouldn't think, oh, Janet's going through a thing, you know, just hope she makes it out of it. But that even more so as we walk through financial crisis, as we walk through relational strains, that we as a church community would inspire one another. That even through the trial, I'm going to walk with Jesus. That even through my difficulty, I'm going to use my difficulty as an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus and how he met me through and in this trial. So the first thing I want to encourage us, City Light Church, is don't waste your chains. Don't think that someday, once you get through the trial, once you get through the stress, then you'll be a witness for Jesus. God wants to use you right in the midst of your struggle. Number one, don't waste your chains. All right, I got, I got a second encouragement I want to press into us out of this text. And so we're going to go back into verse 15. Um, but let me set it up this way. Paul's situation is not good. We're clear on that. He's in jail. He's witnessing to the guards. But this is not like he's not living in the Hilton, uh, living the dream in this moment. And so his situation is grim, but he's actually going to tell us it's, it's worse. And he's so positive in this text, you might miss it. But um, let me set it up. Here's, here's the issue that's going on. He's now going to talk about some ministry rivals who are on the outside of jail who are actually making his ministry more difficult within the jail. Keep in mind, these are brothers in Christ. These are Christians who are now making his life in miserable, or in prison, even more miserable. It's a jacked up situation, but let me read the text first. He goes on to say in verse 15 through 18, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. 
What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, in that, I rejoice. Second encouragement I'm going to give us this morning, church, is this. Hook your joy to Jesus. Hook your joy to Jesus. I'm going to unpack that in a minute, but, but let me show you what I mean from the text first. Did you know there's haters even in ministry? That's what's going on here. Um, l- l- let me bring this to life. Paul was kind of a big deal in his day, okay? And so this is the, this is the Apostle Paul. He's taken the gospel to multiple different continents. He's planted um, many different churches in many different places. He's, he's written letters that are being circulated among the whole Christian community. So he's like New York Times bestseller list. This guy's killing it. He's the Steph Curry of Christian ministry in his day. Do you get it? He's gone and contended against heretics and won. Among the Christian community, this guy is a tower. He's a big deal. And he comes into a new town, and here's what happens. There's some other pastors who are territorial, who are hyper-competitive, who are insecure about the big man coming onto their turf, and they get defensive. Does that sound weird? It happens all the time, even today. When churches, when Christian leaders... Um, when, when Christians get territorial, turf wars, competitive, when, when people get envious of other Christian leaders who seem to be having success in ministry, happens all the times, and it happened in Bible times. And that's what was happening with the Apostle Paul. And so here it is, he's in jail, and the people who are hyper-competitive around him see an opportunity higher up on the leadership ladder. And so they want to take advantage of his poor position and say, oh, the mighty has fallen. There's an opportunity for me. And so out of rivalry and selfish ambition, they're trying to grow the bigger church. They're trying to get their own book deal, right? Think about Paul's perspective on this. He's just trying to tell people about Jesus. He's in prison, and the very people, the Christian community, that should be praying for him, that should be bringing meals to him, that should be caring for him, are instead competing with him and making his position in prison that much more difficult. That stings. The worst blows are from people inside the church and people that are closest to you, and that's Paul's scenario right now, right? His situation's already in bad. He's been in prison for the gospel, but then the Christians around him are trying to compete with him and spite him and take advantage of his distress. Horrible situation. But look what Paul does. I love his response to these insecure, hyper-competitive pastors. In verse 18, he says, hey, you know what? No matter what their motives are, I'm going to rejoice. You know why? It's not about my reputation. It's about the reputation of Jesus. And so these guys might have ill motives. They might be trying to grow the bigger church because it's the hipper thing and get the book deal and swoop in on my thing. All that, whatever. The Lord will sort that out. But here's where I rejoice, that Jesus Christ and his name and his gospel are going forth. Here's the secret, City Light. He had hooked his joy to Jesus. Did you know joy doesn't exist in a vacuum? You can't get joy by trying to get joyful. It, it, it evades you every single time, right? Um, joy is always attached to something. It's always the product of something. We always find our joy in something else. So it's a, it's a passive thing in a sense. Your joy is like um, a, a train car. If you have a box car, it's not going anywhere until you hitch it to an engine. 
and then that engine will take it for a ride. So too our joy. None of us have joy independent of everything else in a vacuum. We have all attached our sense of joy and happiness and well-being to something. Now here's what we learned from Paul. Because he had hooked his joy to Jesus, his captors couldn't take it, and his naysayers couldn't take it. It was secure in the person of Jesus. So think about it. If Paul had hooked his sense of joy um, to what other people thought of him, he would have lost it because his reputation was being tarnished. If Paul had hooked his sense of joy to his financial status, um, he would have lost it. He's a bivocational church-planting pastor who's out of work and in jail, right? If Paul had hooked his sense of joy to his comfort and well-being, he would have lost it. He's in deplorable conditions. Man, there's no Netflix. There's no vacation. There's no memory foam pillow. His life is horrible. If his sense of joy had been hooked to a promising future, he would have lost it. There's no self-actualization, no career ladder to climb, no aspirations of retirement or watching my grandkids go old. None of that. If he had tied his sense of joy to any of that, he would have lost it. But here's his secret that we need to learn from. He knew that all those things... One way or another, this day or the next, we're going to disappointment. And so he hooked his joy to Jesus. And in his his poverty, Jesus became his treasure, and in that he found his joy. In his affliction, he found his peace in Jesus. And in that, he found and retained his joy. When he faced death, he found his life in Jesus. And in that, he found his joy. When the haters were hating and the people who were supposed to be caring for him were competing with him, He found his joy that the reputation of Jesus was still going forth, and in that, he rejoiced. He hooked his joy to Jesus. City Light, would you hook your joy to Jesus? I don't say that as just a religious platitude this morning. This is the Christian life. Um, Any of us, if we hook our, our joy to anything else other than Jesus, I mean our ultimate joy, it's okay to take joy in your kids and your grandkids and the great blessings of life. That is terrific. But our ultimate joy has to be found in Jesus. The shiny things of this world are all passing away, but Jesus alone will satisfy. And you place your your sense of joy in your kids' athletic accomplishments, that's going to last for like 10 seconds. They're not going pro. Can I just let you know ahead of time? Okay? You're disappointing yourself. If you hook your ultimate sense of joy, I will be happy, feel fulfilled, and okay in this world when my career path, and that might work for like 10 years off and on, ebb and flow. Even when the Lord gives you that spouse that you've wanted since high school or finally gives you the child that you've spent decades praying for and all that stuff, you can rejoice in those things. But even those, even the greatest blessings from the Lord will ultimately one day disappoint a city light. We have to be a people that hooks our joy to Jesus. As a pastor, I get the privilege of seeing the best and the worst of everything that goes on in a church. And one of the most amazing witnesses to me is to watch people in our church go through devastating losses, yet not themselves be destroyed, because their heart and their joy was never tied to that. Watch a guy this last year in retirement lose hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But it didn't take his joy, because his joy was tied to Jesus. Walked with people who have buried children prematurely, and a piece of their heart died, but they didn't ultimately lose their joy because their joy was tied to Jesus. 
City Light, here's what we know. The greatest joy will only come when we truly come to understand, love, cherish, and walk in the truth that there is a God who loves us, who came to this planet in the person and work of Jesus to save us, and through his Holy Spirit is now living inside of us to empower us, to let other people know about him, to prepare us, to become more like him, that we might see him face-to-face with all, for all of eternity, and in him alone we will find our ultimate and lasting joy. That's the joy that God gave Stan on that hospital room, that on his last day he said, I am happy in Jesus. That's the impenetrable joy that Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul, that even under grim circumstances, he said, and yet I will rejoice. And that is the joy that's available to you today. Would you make it your own? Would you make Jesus your highest treasure above all other things and find your joy in him? Would you tie your joy to Jesus? I'll end with this. Um, Paul's a great example of joy. He's an incredible example of facing suffering as a witness for Jesus in joy. But at the end of the day, guess what? Paul is not the hero of this text. It's Jesus. The book of Hebrews said that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Jesus is the one who went through suffering and yet never lost his joy. And he did it because it was through his suffering that our salvation was won. Jesus came to the earth, um, committed no sin, yet substituted himself on a cross so that we might experience him and the fullness of joy that comes with him. Jesus is our joy. And so by way of practical response this morning, we are going to celebrate communion. And it's in communion that we remember that there is a joy greater than our circumstances. And the invitation to the table of God this morning is not for people who have their stuff together, for everyone who um, has gotten rid of your chains, who's on the other side, who's in a more comfortable position in life. This morning, the invitation is to come, even in the midst of your trial, and be reminded of the joy that you have in Jesus. So communion service, go ahead and head on back. Let me read us the words, um, our instructions for communion that we get in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said in in another letter, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus, what a counterintuitive thought um, to think that um, the very place that you want to meet with us isn't on the other side of the trial, but right in the midst of it. And so too, the very place that you want to use us to be a light to this world isn't when we get cleaned up on the other side, but right in the midst of our chains. Jesus, I pray for this church family and the individuals that are here. I don't know how you need to minister to each individual heart, but everyone in here, to one degree or another, walked in with some chains of trial this morning. God, maybe they have thought, I'm going to pursue my relationship with Jesus when I get on the other side of this. Or maybe I'll believe in Jesus if he can get me out of this. But God, would you remind these people that it's through the valley that you are leading them, that you are with them, 
and that you are extending to them a joy that's greater than the other side of their circumstances that can be experienced right in the midst of it. Jesus, thank you for um, such a physical and tangible reminder that we have in communion. Um, to know that, that your love and the joy that you give us came at a tremendous cost. Would we come forward this morning rejoicing that you have paid it all, um, that we would owe nothing. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for that. Would you minister to us in this time of singing and of communion? We pray in Jesus' good name.